So we're going to talk about worship today because there is this event that takes place in the history of this week that we're remembering, and it is that triumphal entry. It's found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to turn there. It's Matthew chapter 21, so almost to the end of the the Gospel there. And we're going to skip down a little bit to um, verse 7, when they brought the donkey and the colt for Jesus to ride on. They laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And then it says in verse 8, a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spread them on the ground as well. And then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Hosanna. Shouts of praise. Worship to the king. We want to examine this this morning, and the the sermon is entitled, True Worship. Because there is a false worship that we have to watch for. And we're not here to point fingers at anyone else except ourselves this morning. We want to examine ourselves, as Scripture says. You know, let the, the Word of God like come in like a searchlight and search for us. And find the things that don't belong and bring in the things that do belong. And so I want us to look at this word worship this morning because true worship comes from the word worthship. It's an English word, obviously, but worthship became worship in the English language because worthship, it feels like you have a lisp when you try to put all those, the T-H and the S together, right? Worthship. Try it. Worthship. I had to practice all week for that one. Worthship. But the definition, which was given uh, in, in 1828 in the, in the Noah Webster Dictionary, which is one that I love because it's, it's, it's a little bit not modern in its thinking, um, but a little bit more traditional. The definition of worship is to adore and honor with extravagant love and extreme submission I don't often remember that part. We like to forget that word, that S word, submission, right? But to honor God with extravagant love and extreme submission, as we used that term Lord a little bit earlier, calling him Lord means master, right? Which infers that we are his servants, right? And we respond to him as master. We can define worship a little bit more clearly by looking at the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is in our list of priorities. If you are a true worshiper, 
then you know who God is because you have personal relationship with him based on truth, based on who he is in scripture, not in who you make him to be or who you would like him to be, but who he truly is according to God's word. To worship God in spirit and in truth passage that we'll look at in a minute says. So the truth is from God's word. We don't form God into our own image. We don't form God into an image that we would prefer for him to be. We look at the image of God revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures, and we see who God is. That's who we worship. And where God is on our list of priorities. Is he number three? Is he after you? Number two, is he even further down the list? Because you can't worship him unless he is number one. You can't truly worship God. See, our worship should flow out of the reality of the fact that God first loved us. He first loved us, so we are responding in worship. We're not trying to conjure up something in ourselves. We are responding to what he has done for us, what he has said about us, what he has promised to us, and then that brings up a spirit of worship, a a desire to worship in that reality. And the reality that God loved us so much that he had a plan of salvation from the beginning of time until the end. And that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Do you know that? You love him because he first loved you? Because don't try it the other way around. We don't have it in ourselves until we are responding to the love that he has poured out extravagantly on us. Scripture says he lavished his love on us. He's not stingy. He's generous with his love. Our love is the love that we have to examine here this morning. We want to examine, are we truly worshiping him? And are we worshiping him out of true love for him? There's a passage in the Old Testament in Hosea, which is a little haunting, but, but I love it because the prophet says to the, people, to the people of Israel, your love is like the morning mist that vanishes. Were any of you out yesterday outside in the morning? It was like you were stuck in a cloud. If you got up early enough, some of you sleep until it got sunny. But then later in the afternoon, late in the afternoon, boom, it was like all gone. It was, my wife and I were like marveling. Like the sky was completely blue and completely clear. And this warm air began to be generated. It was like, yes, spring is coming someday. Because then I woke up this morning and said, it's 27. <laughs> How does this happen? But back to the scripture, Hosea 6, he's speaking to God's people. He's saying, your love is like the morning mist that vanishes. I, being God here, speaking through the prophet, God desires faithful love, not sacrifice. It's an important point there because we're, we're still in the Old Testament. We're still under the Old Covenant where sacrifices were taking place in the temple on a regular basis. And people were bringing sacrifices according to what God had asked. But he wants something deeper than sacrifice. He wants your love. So we need to be careful because we can easily be sidetracked by God's blessings in our life. God does bless us. This morning I was blessed by becoming a grandchild. My daughter had a baby early this morning. Hallelujah. 
It's a blessing. My first grandchild, by the way, the first grandson. So, so God does bless us, but we can't be sidetracked by those blessings. We want to worship the one who made us, the giver of life, the one who gives us every breath, not just his gifts, but the giver of those gifts. So let's go back to the definition. It is giving worth to God, adoring him with extravagant love and extreme submission. There's no mention in that definition of getting, of of just getting from God and giving love back to him, right? It's, It's this, we desire to just honor him for what he's already done. If he doesn't do one more thing in our lives, we'll still honor him. We'll still bless him. We'll still thank him. We know he will do more, but we're not worshiping him to get something like a vending machine. Like, let me put in this money and push this button so I can get from God. That's not what we're doing. We're worshiping God for who he is and where we have decided to place him in our lives as our Lord and our master. So I want to read again from Psalm 145, which I read just a few minutes ago. In light of this so far, let's listen to David's words. I exalt you, my God and King. Exalt is to to lift up higher than anything else, right? To exalt. And bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. See the, the, the constancy of that? David's desire is not just to praise God on Sundays or Wednesday nights, but David's desire is to just keep praising God forever and ever and ever because the Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation declares your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and your glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They, the people, will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts and will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. And then there's a pause. Then he says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. Wow. It goes on and on. So see, verses 1 through 7 is our giving back to God because of who he is in verses 8 and following. He is these things, and so we give back to him. He loved us first, and so we praise him and love him back. So let's think about this crowd at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in light of that praise from King David in the psalm. See, part of that crowd was getting caught up in the activity of the disciples. So the disciples kind of started the the parade, and they went on before, and then people began to just join in. And we want to think about what was happening there because some of the people in that crowd were only worshiping Jesus that day. 
They'd never, never even maybe met him before. Maybe they heard of him. But that day, they decided to join in because other people were doing it. So human of us, right? Whatever the crowd is doing, we'll just join in. You know, we don't want to be different. And so well, maybe we'll just fit in over here with what these people are doing. It looks exciting after all. Some of them believed that he was bringing something that they really wanted. He was going to do what they really, really wanted, which Tanya alluded to before with the children. He was going to get rid of those dang Romans, right? They were worshiping him because of what he was going to give to them. They thought, but their thoughts were too small. So do we worship God sometimes for what we think he's going to do for us? Now, we know, according to his word, his promises to his people. But I mean specifically, do we worship him because we think he's going to give me a new car? You know, everybody gets a new car, you know. Is that why we worship God? That's not true worship. They wanted the Romans to go. So, so maybe you want one political party or the other to go, Right? And you're worshiping God because you think he's going to win for you and your side. But the question we have to ask ourselves to find out if we're truly worshiping God or some other form of God is do you only worship God for what he can do for you? Not what he's done already by saving you, by cleansing you, by adopting you, into the family of God through salvation, but what he can do for you. Our worship involves giving, not getting. He does give to us, but our primary motivation for worship should not be for what we're going to get. When that is in our hearts, that's the wrong motive for worship. So turn with me to the Gospel of John, because Jesus teaches on worship. Now, it's in John chapter 4, starting at verse 20. And we should note that when he teaches on worship, he's teaching to an individual. He's teaching to the woman at the well, one-on-one. So often we think of worship in a corporate sense, and we do worship corporately, but guess what? God sees each and every one of you as an individual, and God wants to speak into each and every one of your lives. We're not just a number to God. You're an individual who he created, who he desires to bring into that relationship. So notice this is given to an individual. It's recorded for us, and so we can read it as a group. But he spoke individually to this woman in John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 20 through 24. So she says to him, this is the woman speaking, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem, right? So she's looking at what's in front of her. She's looking at two different cities opposed to one another. But Jesus told her, 
Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here. So it's already started when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. In spirit and in truth. Not in a location. Not in one church in Holden or one church in Worcester or that church over there. People run around from church to church trying to find the best worship. That's not what it's about. What it's about is, is are you a true worshiper, a true worshiper who worships the Father in spirit and in truth? See, Jesus taught about true worship and true worshipers, which we just have to pause and say, well, if he's talking about true worship and true worshipers, there must logically then be false worship and false worshipers, of which we don't want to be. Do you agree? You don't want to be a false worshiper. Raise your hands. I don't want to be a false worshiper. I want to be a true worshiper. And when God looks at me, I want him to see me and say, yes, thank you. That is exactly what I want you to be doing in relation with me. So true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's, that's what we want to understand, in spirit and in truth. Are we true worshipers or... Are we like those who turned their praises quickly into condemnation when God didn't do what they thought he should do or when Jesus didn't do what they thought Jesus should do? Are we fickle? Are we on good days, we're worshipers. On bad days, we're false worshipers. True worshipers on a sunny day, false worshipers on a rainy day. Are we that unstable in who we are in relation to God. If we are, we need to cry out to him to help us, to help us to mature, to help us to find a solid footing in our relationship with him. Because we don't want to be like those who go from praising him to condemning him, from shouting Hosanna to shouting, take him away and crucify him. That's what happened in this Holy Week. Hosanna, the whole city was shouting, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The whole city, everyone was, yay, yay, Jesus is here. And then by later in the week, take him away and crucify him. What happened? Those were not true worshipers. Those are people who were worshiping him for what they thought he was and what they thought he was going to do. Not according to scripture, but according to what they wanted. What they thought would be the right thing to do. And in the right timing, the right, the right space in history, the right time in their life. God, give me what I want when I want it, is what they were saying. Hosanna! Blessed are you if you give me what I want when I want it. 
But if you don't give me what I want when I want it, away with you. Crucify him. That's false worship. And there's a lot of false worshipers out there. And maybe a few in here. We got to get this straight. It's not God the vending machine. I put in my coins and I pushed that button. And guess what? It didn't come down the chute. I didn't get my snack. God, I'm mad at you. Wait till I see you face to face. I got a thing to say. I hear this from some of you sometimes. And I I just take a step away because I'm afraid of lightning. Okay. All right. Settle down there. Simmer down, simmer down. Right? We got to be careful that we worship God on good days and on bad days. Because he's worthy of praise every day. Forever and ever, David says. I want to praise you every day, forever and ever and ever. I want that attitude. I want you to have that attitude. I want this church to have that attitude. We worship you no matter what, God. Because you are worthy of our praise. You are worth it to us. You are worth it to us. Because we, know, we all know how we act when we don't get what we want. Some of us pout. Some of us yell. Some of us break things. When we don't get what we want, it's ugly. And that's what happened with this crowd of people of individuals that God knew each and every one of their hearts. To better appreciate true worship, let's just look at three, three forms of false worship. Because by comparing, we can look inside ourselves, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to change us, to renew us, and to give us hearts of true worshipers. So the first, one, the first one is in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. We'll call this first one vain worship. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This is one of those tough, tough teachings when Jesus isn't too happy with the, with the people he's speaking to. And starting in verse 7, he calls them hypocrites. And then he quotes one of their favorite prophets from the Old Testament. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Here's the false Worship. They worship me in vain. They're vain worshipers, teaching as doctrines human commandments, teaching as though it comes from God, these things that they're sort of just making up because that's what they like. They'd like things to be that way in the world. Vain worshipers, people who worship with their lips. So on the outside, they blend in with the crowd. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But on the inside, where their heart is, what really matters, the thing that God actually sees, is far from that, is far from blessing God. 
is either driven by selfish motives, has hatred in its heart, resentment. All kinds of things could keep our hearts far from God. Even just distractions, busyness. But we come and we sing the songs or we open up our Bible and we do our devotions, but at the same time we're making a grocery list or we're making a list of complaints about work. That's vain worship. Vain means it's worthless. Worthless worship. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't affect God one bit. It doesn't bless him one bit. Another kind of worship that's mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of Acts, our favorite book, right? The book of Acts, chapter 17, the one we've been studying forever and ever. But in, in Acts 17, verse 23, 22 and 23, and we're going to get to this in, in, in a couple of weeks. It says that Paul stood in the middle of the Aeropolis, however you say that, and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. Don't you love it when people call you religious? It, it should make us cringe. But like sometimes, sometimes at work or sometimes in a relationship, people be like, oh, I forgot you're religious. And I was like, ah, Please don't call me that because I don't think that's a good thing. Well, Paul's doing this to these people. I see that you're religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, idols, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. And here's the false worship. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance... This I proclaim to you. So Paul uses this as an opportunity. But these people are, are just going to worship anything. They don't want to miss anything. They're like, oh, no, I, I like that too. You know, I like that too. You know, it's, it's like the people, you know, in your life that are like, yeah, I really like Buddha, but I also like this part about Jesus. And I really like this thing over here. And they just sort of collect all these different religious things. These stones, these stones have powers. If you're sick, like put it in your bra, you know, like whatever, you know, just weird stuff that you hear. And you're like, where are they getting this stuff? They're just collecting it. They're just collect. Sorry. <laughs> Inappropriate. They're just collecting it. I mean, close to your heart, I should have said. Um, keep it close to your heart. It's a stone. God created that stone. It has no power in itself. The God of power created it. But this is ignorant worship. People that don't worship anything. It's like the latest fitness craze, right? If you eat these three bugs, you'll lose 50 pounds. Really? Okay. You know, people, just, people just fall for anything. Because they're not basing their worship on the truth of God's word and on who God truly is. And this leads to the last one that we'll look at this morning. This is in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, again, verse 22. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, just put in self-help, 
self-help, right? False humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So again, we have this, this false hope that we can through these keeping these certain commands and these certain regulations and knowing these certain truths that somehow we're going to be you know changed that somehow we'll be we'll be changed into something better than we are it's the self-help industry in itself right we can do this you just work a little harder you just memorize these things more you just do this 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 bleeds into christianity as well where people say, oh, you just have to do it this way. Here's, here's the five steps to this and the six steps to that and the ten steps to this. And it's, it's, wait a minute. What about the relationship with Jesus Christ? What about the intimate time that I spend with God in his word, in prayer, where he speaks to me and guides me as a good shepherd? Oh, no, but you got to do these ten things first. Oh, come on. That's just self-made worship. You're just trying to create something that, that God didn't even ask you to do and the world is full of this as well so in conclusion we'll look at Romans 12 verse 1 because we're trying to define true worship we want to be those true worshipers that God is looking for on the earth that he's seeking to to build relationship with so in Romans 12 verse 1 Paul says this profound thing therefore brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy or the mercies of God looking at the mercy of God let's just what does that mean in view of the fact that God forgives you even though you're a knucklehead in view of the fact that you were really a jerk yesterday In view of the fact, I mean, you could fill in the blanks. In view of the fact that he shows mercy on you, I urge you, urge is a strong word. I push you. I I hope you will do this. I urge you, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. What is true worship? Remembering the mercies of God. Falling before him, thanking him for his mercy every day. Every day. Scripture says his mercies are new every day, so you can't wear them out. Every day. His mercies are new for you. And then presenting your bodies, yourself, living, He's not talking about, you know, the sacrifices of the Old Testament where they slit the throat and drain the blood. Nope. Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. Those are, those are high, high words, holy and pleasing. We only receive holiness through Christ. He gives us his robes of righteousness, Scripture says, and we can put it over our sinful selves and receive the covering of God. Pleasing to God as we learn to be his sons and his daughters, as we learn to follow in his character, as we learn to to take his word for his word and put it into action. These are the true worshipers. As we look at one more verse, 
from 1 Peter 2.5. Listen, this is about you and about me. It says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, which are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. When you come to that place of realizing what a horrible sinner you were, that God loved you anyway, brought you into relationship through Christ, showed you mercy. He pulled you out of darkness, that says, and into his marvelous light, you will be able to bring spiritual sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him through Christ Jesus. It's the only way. It's not you were the best singer in the choir. It's not you put the most in the offering. It's none of that stuff. You did the most good deeds that day, and you checked them off on your list. It's do you understand the mercy of God? Here we are in Holy Week. By Friday, it will be Good Friday. Do you understand that all of that was to bring mercy to us? Jesus suffered and died to bring mercy to us. And once you receive it and understand it and let it soak into your anatomy and every part of you, you will become a true worshiper. You can't help be anything else. You can't help be anything more, you know, more grateful, more happy, more, more joyful than a person who's received that amount of mercy and been promised a place with him forever because of his grace and his goodness. Yes, Jesus, we want to bow our hearts before you cry out to you that you are worthy. You are worth all of our lives. We are before you as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you only through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. So we thank you for this Easter week. We thank you for this Palm Sunday. We thank you for getting our hearts in the right place with you. God, I just pray that you would walk with us through this week. That we would continue in an attitude of worship, thanking you for your great mercy towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way where there was no way. He opened a door that was locked and barred because of our sin. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you that through his blood we are washed 100% clean. You will complete this work because you are faithful to do it. So, God, give us patience 
with ourselves and with one another as we continue to grow in the knowledge of who you are, as we continue to try to be true worshipers, correct in us the areas that are off-center and get Jesus right back in the middle again. We bow before you, not just on the outside, but on the inside in our hearts where it matters. magnified. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you have rescued us out of darkness and into your light. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you for